All right, if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at the end of chapter 7 this morning, verses 24 through 29, and those are also printed there in the bulletin. Uh, We are at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus has been preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven, uh, which, I mean, he calls it good news. In many ways, it doesn't really sound like good news uh, to us. Uh, It's a strange kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. And the blessed life that he is talking about is not the kind of blessing that we would normally ask for. Uh, Jesus is unlike any other king, and his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. It's not of this world. His message is unlike any other message. His words sound absurd. Uh, They sound preposterous. They sound like the height of folly to sinners in the world. But Jesus says that hearing his words and doing them, keeping them, integrating them, and incorporating them into your life uh, is actually true wisdom. And he speaks with an authority that cannot be ignored and an authority that demands a response from all who hear him. Uh, So let's consider his words. Let's consider his authority and let's consider our response to him uh, this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, you have taken the initiative in speaking to us through your son. So we pray that you would help us also to hear his words and to respond with a true and living faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So Jesus finishes up this sermon uh, here with a little parable that sounds like it comes from the Proverbs. Uh, There's a wise man and there's a foolish man, right? The Proverbs are always sort of contrasting the wise man and the foolish man. Uh, The wise man built his house on the foundations, uh, with with its foundations on the bedrock. Uh, The foolish man built his house on the sand. It should be fairly obvious to us which man's house would survive a storm uh, and a flood. So when Jesus draws this parallel between someone hearing his words and doing them, and then this wise man who built his house on the rock, maybe that parallel should be obvious too, right? Uh, But if you've been listening to Jesus' words, it isn't really obvious that we should do his words, (laughs) keep his words. It's not really obvious to us. His words are often so counterintuitive to us, they don't sound like wisdom, they sound like folly. It sounds disastrous to embrace something like poverty of spirit that Jesus talks about. It sounds dangerously, uh, you know, like a dangerously vulnerable position to put yourself in to embrace things like meekness and mercy as Jesus talks about it. It seems, it seems obvious that we should scorn persecution instead of rejoicing during persecution. These things that he's talking about, uh, they sound to us like building your house on the sand sounds to us. Like, we'll be swept away if we do what Jesus says. 
But Jesus says these things are blessed. He encourages things like selfless generosity, like self-controlled fasting, uh, forgiveness, and loving your enemies as values of his kingdom, which are entirely contrary to the values of this world. So to hear his words and to do them means things like serving and sacrifice and suffering, things that just don't seem very wise to people in this world. We know what kinds of things to do to establish ourselves in this world. We know what kinds of things to do to get ahead in this world. And we know what kinds of things to avoid in order to survive in this world. Things like what Jesus likes to talk about all the time. You avoid those things. That's how you you establish yourself and get ahead and survive in this world. I mean, he literally says you have to lose your lives. You have to lose your life to find it. You have to deny yourself to find yourself blessed in his kingdom. Over and over again, here are these things that we would run away from screaming. But Jesus says, blessed are you when these define your life, when, when these uh, things happen to you or characterize your life with God. We would say, cursed is the one who is like this. But he says, no, blessed, blessed. Uh, in the words of Inigo Montoya, uh, Jesus, you keep using that word blessed. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> right? <laughs> So, so let's just say it isn't intuitive for people to agree with Jesus here that when he says that someone who hears and does his words is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. It isn't obvious to sinners that keeping Jesus' words is actually truly wise. So if you've got any questions about particular words of Jesus that he's said over the course of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we've spent the last six months considering them. You can go back and listen to him online, or we can talk about him more. But uh, we've discussed how what he says is good. What he says is good, it is wise, ultimately, with regard to our relationship with God. But these things aren't obvious. Nothing Jesus says is obvious to us, because sinners have so set themselves against God and against his ways that we've turned the whole world upside down so that the things of God, the words of God, just don't even make any sense to us. So when we hear them, they seem upside down, but really we're the ones who are turned on our heads. And this is why we need special revelation, right? Special revelation. We need God to speak to us his words that we never would have guessed apart from him. We need him to speak to us his words that don't fit our paradigms, his words that would never emerge from our worldviews naturally, His words that strike us as as absurd, as preposterous, as folly. We need him to speak these words to us. So along comes Jesus. God himself in the flesh. The very word of God. That's who he is. That's how John's gospel talks about him. He is the very word of God who has become a human being. He is the revelation of God that seems absurd to us. His words are the very words of God that sound preposterous to us. Throughout Uh, This Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been speaking of the scriptures. He's been speaking of the law of God, uh, the will of the Father, the word of God. He's been speaking with the highest reverence about the word of God that his uh, father has given. And at the same time, while we might have expected someone to say, as you see over and over again, the prophets saying in the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Jesus has instead referred to himself as Lord and has said, truly, truly, I say to you. Right? And now he wraps up this sermon, not saying everyone who hears the word of God and does it. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like a wise man. So he's saying that his words are the very words of God. This is the claim that he is making. This is the claim that his original audience understood him to be making. His crazy-sounding words carry divine authority. That's what he's saying. Yes, it's scandalous. The question is whether it's also true. One thing is obvious. uh, You cannot ignore his words. So it says in verse 28, when Jesus finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So uh, Stanley Hauerwas is a commentator. He says this uh, pretty succinctly. um, Scribes exercise authority by citing another authority. In contrast, Jesus teaches as the one who has authority to determine what is authoritative. Right? So scribes were teachers of the scriptures. They never would have said, hear and do these words of mine. They would have referred to the scriptures as the word of God for the weight, the authority of what they taught. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, do my words. Keep my words. Let my words define your reality and your relationship with God. Establish your life on my words. Receive your identity from my words. Believe my words. And let them renew your minds and shape your lives. Integrate and incorporate my words all the way down into your heart. Surrender to my words. Submit your very soul to my words. Anyone can recognize the astonishing authority with which he speaks here. He speaks with the authority of God himself. So, C.S. Lewis, this is probably a familiar quote to most of us from Mere Christianity. It's a long quote that's printed down there at the bottom of the page. Uh, He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Right, so the uh, famous question, is he a lunatic, is he a liar, or is he actually the Lord? The only possible responses are seen in those extremes. You cannot kind of like Jesus, right? You can't just think he's got some interesting things to say, like maybe some other religious figures in history, he's a good moral teacher or something. You can't say that. Either Jesus is Lord or he isn't. But he speaks as if he is. He certainly speaks with the authority of God himself. And you don't speak like him unless you're crazy or evil or actually the Lord himself in truth. So the question is whether you accept his claim, whether you believe it, how you respond uh, to the authoritative claim of his words. Yes, it's a difficult thing to accept his claim, because as we've already established, he sounds crazy. So if Jesus is truly the Lord, but he, he sounds crazy to us, what does that say about us? It means there's something wrong with us. It means some, there's something wrong with our idea of wisdom, something wrong with our perception of reality, something wrong with our approach to life. Why should you acknowledge his divine authority when it seems uh, such an outlandish 
preposterous claim when it is not obvious to the world that his words are wise, when it even calls into question your own sanity. It's because his words truly reveal the love of God. His words truly reveal the God of love. His words reveal the heart of God toward you. His words reveal eternal life in communion with God. So this is what he says in his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Way back in the beginning of chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy with God's own happiness are the poor in spirit. Because the God of love became poor in spirit for your sake, and the blessing is in the privilege of relating to him. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy with God's own happiness are those who mourn. Because the God of love opened himself up to heartbreaking loss. He made himself vulnerable to pain and rejection and death. And the blessing is in the privilege of relating to the one who mourns. Blessed are the meek, even though they won't get ahead in this world because the God of love incarnate is meek and lowly, and the meek will inherit the earth in communion with him. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, who are desperate, starved, parched in their need for a right relationship with God because the God of love, come in the flesh, died to justify us, to declare us righteous, to satisfy that desperate need. Blessed are the merciful, happy with God's own happiness, or the merciful because the Lord himself is merciful to us. And the blessing is in knowing him and participating in his life of mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart because the God of love shares his own happiness with us as he grants us the gracious privilege of seeing him and becoming like him, pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers because the Son of God is the peacemaker and he opens his life to us and he renews the image of God in us and he gives us a share in his own ministry of reconciliation, peacemaking. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because that means we live with God. It means that the kingdom belongs to us through our fellowship with him, even though it's a fellowship in his sufferings. It's fellowship with the God of love. His words reveal the blessed life in the kingdom of heaven which revolve around a true and everlasting relationship with the God of love. His words reveal the blessing of pursuing peace rather than harboring bitterness and anger and hate, the blessing of faithfulness over and against lust and betrayal, the the blessing of truthfulness, the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of sacrificial generosity, because these blessings are all wrapped up in knowing the God of love intimately. His words reveal the relationship this God of love delights to share with us, one where we're invited to call him our Father, together with Jesus, even as he calls him Father, where we can pray to him as to one who is attentive to all our needs and knows them all before we even ask. Jesus' words reveal to us that we can be free from anxiety and worldly cares because the God of love is always providing what we truly need. His words reveal to us that we can truly bless and help others who have sinned as we confess our sins and empathize with them rather than judging them and canceling them. His words reveal that God is truly a God of love who treats others as he would want to be treated if if he were in their place, who has done that as he has entered our place in the person of his son, Jesus. And his words reveal to us that the way to participate in the life of God, the life of the God of love, that way is open. It's through a narrow gate. It's through a difficult path, uh, but it is open to all who hear Jesus, who trust and keep his words. We may enter the kingdom. We may commune with the God of love. We may even become like God. 
himself through our relationship with Jesus. You should believe his words and surrender to them and do them because they are the authoritative, gracious words of the God of love. If his words sound foolish to you, that's, that's a reflection on you. There's nothing wrong with him or with his words. If you reject his words, and he says you're the one who's building your house on the sand, you can only connect to the bedrock of reality. You can only relate to the God of love through his word. And Jesus himself is God's word with authority, spoken and speaking for your life with God. So if you do his words, the world will probably think that you're a fool. And in some ways, that might be true. You might suffer more. uh, You might lose opportunities. uh, You might not be successful as the world defines success. You might not get ahead in life as much as you would have otherwise. But doing the words of Jesus means participating in the life of the God of love. And that's true wisdom as the scriptures speak of wisdom. True wisdom isn't just independent critical thinking for sort of navigating, manipulating the circumstances of life successfully. True wisdom is knowing God in life, living life with God, fearing God, living from and through and unto the God of love, living the very life of God in the world through faith in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the parable Jesus tells here, the wise man built his house on the rock, and it was able to stand when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on it. So the the rain and the floods and the winds, uh, they might represent the judgment of God, which all people everywhere and throughout history will face when they stand before him on the last day. Uh, Or they might represent the kinds of calamities that are common to human life in this fallen world. Or maybe it's both, right? Uh, Whatever the case, the point is, that the one who hears the words of Jesus and does them will be able to endure what otherwise would be impossible to endure. So whatever storm it is you have to weather, uh, hearing and doing the words of Jesus means you weather that storm in relationship with God. It means the privilege of knowing Jesus as you weather the storm with Jesus. Jesus has faced the proverbial rains and floods and winds, whether you're talking about the common sufferings that he faced in this world or, in fact, the judgment of God and the shame of the cross that he faced on behalf of all of us. The world looks at the way of Jesus that led him to that cross. It looks at the cross that it's at the center of the gospel that we proclaim, and it declares that to be the greatest folly of all. So Paul says that in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, he says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. We preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Jesus is the wisdom of God. His words are wisdom. His ways are wisdom. His cross is God's own wisdom, even though... It's folly to the world. If you submit to the authority of Jesus and his words, then you will be embracing the way of his cross as God's wisdom. If you hear his words and do them, then it will mean your own cross. But it will mean that your cross will be a meeting place, a place for communion with God, a place for communion with Jesus. That's what Jesus' words provide a place for meeting and communion with the God of love. 
even in the midst of the rains and floods and winds and storms. So build your house on the rock. Let these words of Jesus define your reality. Hang on his every word. Let him tell you what the blessed life of the kingdom of heaven is really like. Embrace his words for your relationship with God and do them as the only way to participate in the life of the God of love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, when, when we pray, we confess that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. But your kingdom and power and glory are preposterous to sinners. Your wisdom is folly to the world. Your words, uh, the words of your son are absurd apart from the work of your spirit in us. So we pray for this miraculous work of your spirit, that you would help us not only to hear and understand your words, but also to cling to them and submit to them, that your words would dwell in us and we would dwell in them, that we would find true blessing in doing your words, because they mean a participation in your life, as crazy as that sounds. We want to live with you, whatever comes, So please, Father, grant us the wisdom to do whatever your son says. We pray in his name. Amen.